0: morning good morning thank you Ann for that scripture reading and how about that Brooklyn choir who began their began their world tour today <laughs> except we're not going to let them go that's the only real downside to that so but that was amazing very good very good children's story yeah so you know, today's, uh, oh, I need to mention about the baptism. I've been studying with Terry for quite a while, we'll continue to study, but something just kind of personal came up in his life, everything's okay, it's just it's better to postpone it at this point, but everything's good and it's it'll be better just to wait a little while. So anyway, I'll just ask you to keep that in, in your prayers. Um, today's, well, and then uh, we need to keep Mike in prayer. In a special way, um, when your heart races that fast and you're a little more advanced in age, we need to really seriously keep him in prayer. Um, and today's sermon is, is um, it's important to read and gain our knowledge, but there's something about beholding God's glory. There's something about we can, we can have a development of character by reading. There's power in God's word. But at some point in our lives throughout the day, gathering glimpses of how beautiful God is, is very motivating and life-changing. God gave us an imagination. And we're not just to memorize words but have pictures, beautiful glimpses of who God is and his glory and his purity. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we we want to pause a moment. We know, Father, that no eye really hath seen thee, except that there's a glory about you that changes us, that realizes that when we catch those glimpses of your brightness that everything's okay and that you're in control it also inspires us that there's there's more ground for us to gain there's there's more hope in what we can become and so father help us teach day read and understand to catch those glimpses increasingly in our life of your glory, your character, your beauty is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> is it just my hand or. <laughs> Try that again. Okay. There we go. I kind of want to start with the publican and the Pharisee. Um. The Pharisee, or the publican goes down justified because he saw something about God, God being merciful, where somehow the Pharisee was kind of stuck on his goodness. Okay? It does matter what you think about. Okay? And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, you know, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The reason this becomes important to us is because in the end of time, Jesus tells us that the church will be Laodicea, which is very much like this Pharisee's condition. And Jesus talks about spooling out the Laodicean condition because it's not ready. Much like this Pharisee seeing themselves as more righteous than they are. And what allows us to see our our sinfulness more is when we catch more and more glimpses, not of others, but of God. It's by looking at his perfection that we see more of our own imperfection. Let's look at the next slide here. So why was this publican justified? Well, the publican knew that he was a what? He knew he was a sinner, and who else knew that? God knew that. So God and the publican were actually in agreement. But was the Pharisee and God in agreement? No. Who was actually closer to God? And it was actually the publican. When the publican asked God to be merciful to him, God was in agreement to be merciful. Uh, The Pharisee didn't uh, think he needed mercy. Who's in agreement with God here? It's, It's really the publican. When, in confessing that he was a sinner, he was deciding that he didn't want to do what anymore? He actually didn't want to sin anymore. God is also in agreement with that, isn't it? Isn't he? Right. Therefore, God is going to help him not to be a sinner anymore. See, the, the Pharisee didn't think he had any more room to grow. But the publican knew he was a sinner. But what's important, he didn't want to be a sinner anymore. He wanted to be righteous, okay, and the publican wanted to be righteous, and God wanted him to be righteous, so in reality, the publican was in agreement with God, and that's important for us, is to always be in agreement with God, because when God sees us, does he see someone in need of help? Yes, sir. Does he see someone who needs his power? Absolutely, And that's when we're in agreement with God. When we get to the point when we reach this plateau, when we think there's no more to learn, there's no more to become, we're actually not in agreement with God anymore. Amen. And we need to be. And that we realize where we need to grow when we look at his perfection. We continue to see our imperfection, but that's really good. Because when you see your imperfection, you have room for for growth. Yeah. Because we can give away those sins and receive his righteousness in return. It's when we don't see his glory that we think we're reasonably good. Jesus said, let's think about the publican steps to conversion. Jesus made this statement in John sixteen eight. When the Holy Spirit has come, he's going to reprove the world of, but not just sin, but also yeah, the Holy Spirit's not going around making you feel like you're a sinner, 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 but that you can become you can become righteous because there's going to be a judgment. Yes. And we're all going to stand before God. And so He has this perfect way of both influencing you that you need a savior, but that you you have hope. You don't have to keep sinning. You can become righteous. Um, And then the publican does receive the Holy Spirit. When does he receive the Holy Spirit? Well, according to Peter, uh, under inspiration, Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So when the the publican realized he was a sinner in need of a Savior and didn't want to sin anymore, he gives his sins to Christ, and Christ takes them. He takes them so that the publican isn't burdened by them anymore. But you know, this is where millions fail. Sometimes they'll say, forgive me for this. And somehow they don't believe actually God forgave them. And so they go on living as if they're not forgiven. And they still carry the burden. But when you give your sins to Christ, he takes them. It's his glory to take it. He wants to take them. He is the sin bearer. So that you're not encumbered by them anymore. You are now free. And he looks at you as if you never. You have a new start. And this is why then he gives you. He takes your sins. But he gives you something for those sins. He gives you his righteousness. But he gives you the Holy Spirit. So that you don't have to keep on sinning anymore. Isn't that right? And this is what the the public had wanted, and it's what God wanted. Amen. They're in agreement. Okay, have we? Has anyone reached a point here that there's nothing more to overcome? No. Could there still be something in us yes. that we don't know about yes. that God still has to reveal? Yes. And you know how He's going to do that sometimes? Oh, He's going to bring someone in your life that just seems to rub you the wrong way. <laughs> And you said, oh, I thought I'd overcame that. And God says, no, you got a little bit more to overcome. Amen. Or maybe he'll put you in a position where you have to exercise some faith in God yes. and not in your money Amen. and not in your position. And he's going to say, do you trust me? And he said, oh, I have to go through this again because I guess there was more to learn. There's some more polishing to do. Is that a good thing? Yes, yes. Because you can become more like him. He doesn't show you all your sins at once, but he's the perfect teacher to show you what you have to overcome now. Just like in school, there's things to learn today. And then next week we learn other things, but you just keep building. And God knows how we learn. He made us. Now I want us to take a look at some scriptures about what happens to people when they actually see God's glory. Now, Isaiah was a pretty pretty dedicated young priest, okay? And in the 8th century, the Assyrians were becoming like a superpower. They did become the next superpower. And they started conquering people. In fact, they conquered the 10 northern tribes in the 700s B.C., and by the time you get to Jesus, they're not even Jews anymore. They're called what? Samaritans. And today, no one's going to say I'm from the tribe of Issachar because we don't know whatever happened to these people. They're like lost tribes. Okay? But we, we have this setting. And so Isaiah is in the temple and he has this vision. And he says, I saw also what? I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. High and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And after he saw that, and he said, what? He. Then I said, oh, woe is me. Why is that? Because of God's purity, he began to see his what? His impurity, didn't he? For I am undone, and because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And just by gathering those glimpses, he probably didn't see the father's face. But he saw something about God's glory. And when he saw that, he no doubt wept and said, Father, I'm a sinner. Just like the publican in need of a savior. See, he was far years advanced in walking with God than the publican. And yet a person can still feel that way, right? I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Can we feel that too? Yes. We're real close to the second coming. And we have a lot of knowledge. But what do we need more of? Glimpses and glimpses and glimpses of God's glory as he is. Do you agree? There's something different about that than just reading truth. There's something about taking the time and contemplating the glory of God. He had been warning the people of their sins in chapter five of Isaiah. You can read it. You know, you, you're doing this, you're doing that, and he gets to this chapter six, and he says, "Oh, I'm in need of a savior too." Okay. Now this becomes important because, like I said, these uh, Assyrians were coming, and so when Isaiah, God, Isaiah's being used of God. And he's, of course, this is in the context of Judah. Israel's going to be lost, the northern tribes. But the preparation for Assyria wasn't to build weapons. The only thing they could do not to be destroyed like the northern kingdom is what? See God's glory. Because when they saw God's glory, there'd be more sins they would confess. And they'd be in agreement with God. And God would be their protection. You see, in the end of time, we're going to have something like the Assyrians coming at us. And they're conquering, and they're conquering, and they're conquering, and they're taking over, and they're taking over. And our defense is not weapons. What is our defense? I think God's waiting not because, in some ways, we may know more about the Sabbath than we know about Jesus. And that won't get us to the promised land. We may know more about the state of the dead than we know about God's glory, but we're going to have to do better at contemplating the glory of God because that reveals what we're really like so that we confess whatever we need yet to confess and be cleansed of sin because that ultimately is our power against the forces that come against us. That is our way of preparation and preparation for what's about ready to happen. And that's what the ten tribes needed, and they didn't do it. But Judah did, and that's why Judah survived. This is one of the simplest definitions of why we sin. This is in Youth Instructor, February 10th, 1898. The reason we sin is because we don't see Jesus. I want you to think about that. You could be an expert on the sanctuary of, You could be an expert on religious liberty. But that won't necessarily keep you from sinning. What keeps us from sinning is taking more time to behold Jesus. And when we behold more often what he did to save us, the closing scenes of his life, that's what motivates our faith to want to give our whole life over to him. Amen. Does that make sense? Amen. You know, Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 6, faith worketh by love. If we spend most of our time reading the news about hate and division, it, doesn't, it may help us understand things prophetically. But it doesn't prepare me to overcome sin. What prepares me to overcome sin is my contemplation of love. And not just my love for my dog, but the love of Christ for me. And I guarantee you the devil's going to keep you so busy. That you're thinking about your job, and you're thinking about the war, and you're thinking about the economy, and you're thinking about the vaccine, and you're thinking about this. That you have very little time to contemplate the glory of God, which is the true motivation to want to overcome sin. Is this right? And we just need to spend time every day contemplating ultimately what's most important, because John 17, 3 says... This is life eternal, that they may know the Father and Jesus Christ, who now is sent. Eternal life is knowing God, Amen. not just doctrines. Amen. Knowing God. Amen. Think of Paul here. I, I find this amazing, the timing of this. After some 30 years of ministry, Paul writes a letter to Timothy around 64, 65, 88. Sometime just before he dies. And he says this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am. Isn't that an interesting statement? You would think that after 30 years of walking with Jesus. That he still wouldn't see himself as the chief of sinners. That through his ministry he would have met all kinds of people. Who probably could have been considered worse than he was. And why would he be the chief of sinners after 30 years of following Jesus? What would be the really singular explanation of this? It's because he had a greater concept of who God was. And because he had a clear... Dude had a, he's the chief onlooker of Jesus. I did put up glimpser. But I wasn't sure if that was a real word. He not only had glimpses of Jesus, he had a real clear, on looking, continuously getting these glimpses of Jesus. And as he did, he knew him better. He knew himself better. He could see his own per- imperfections, put them off, and put on the perfec- perfection of Christ. And the more sin he saw in himself, he says, You know, I'm still the chief of sinners because I've seen the glory of God. And in the end of time, it's really important that I don't think that, hey, I'm going in this end of time feeling pretty good about myself. What's really important is I go into the end of time realizing, you know, I'm the chief of sinners and my only hope is, is Jesus. Is that an important mindset? Yes. And if you see God's glory, ha, who are the Assyrians? You see God's glory, ah, who's these apostate Protestants in the Vatican? Does it matter? Would it matter if it was the Chinese or the Russians? Amen. You can put anybody you want. Yes, sir. Yes. But if you see God's glory, it wouldn't matter who they are. Because you've seen God's glory and you know he's in control. Amen. This is a, a very interesting thing. Paul, on his way to Damascus, he was there specifically to persecute Christians. And it says, now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly something hit him. What was it? It was a light from heaven, and it shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. Now, that word "shown" comes from the word flash, which means it was midday, it was noon. It was as sunny as any day it had ever been in his life. And there was this flash that was like the sun around him. As he says to King Agrippa, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the, above the, brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them that journeyed with me, Oh, King Agirpa, I was not disobedient unto the what? He didn't just see a light. What did he see? He had a heavenly vision. And in that vision, who did he see? He actually see the very one speaking to me saw Jesus change his life. That's what happens. And the more you see Jesus, it's a life changer. And you see him clear, more of a life changer. And it's just a principle. It changes your life when you first meet him and it continues to change your life every time you get more glimpses of him, okay? What did Paul see? He writes in Acts 9.17 or it's recorded in Acts 9.17. And Ananias, who who was a believer in Damascus, went his way, entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that what? appeared unto thee in the way as alcamus has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the holy ghost. So by putting these verses together it just wasn't a light around him it wasn't just a heavenly vision he actually saw he actually saw Jesus. And this is how he even saw himself as being amongst of the of the apostles. They had been with Jesus but you know he saw Jesus too. And in likelihood Jesus probably would have appointed Saul or Paul as the twelfth one to replace Judas. But the disciples went ahead and replaced it with somebody else. But God accepts some of these things, right? Still works with us. But he's so often called an apostle throughout his, his writings. The same happens with all these amazing people in the Bible. Look at Job. In Job's case, we read that Job answered the Lord and said, I know thou canst do everything that no thought can be withholden from thee, but my eye, mind eye, seeth thee, saw something. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. <coughs> when people get a true vision of who God really is, it changes them. Amen. They realize their, their nothingness. You know, After I'd been a a Christian for six months, I've shared this before, probably early on. I was reading the book of Revelation. Didn't understand that some of this you're supposed to take symbolically. So seeing a beast out there with seven heads and ten horns was a little frightening. Uh, Scorpions stinging you for five months seemed like, wow, (laughs) there's some tough times ahead here. And I says, Lord, please lay me down to rest before any of this happens. But, you know, that night, and this literally happened, I could sleep it on my stomach, a hand touched my back, and it spoke to me. And if I spoke Chinese, it was spoken to me in Chinese. But he spoke to me, being from the Midwest, he didn't speak Mississippi slang. He spoke in English as we speak here. And he touched my back, and he says, you do good reading, do very good reading. I had been a Christian for six months, and that was such a humbling moment I felt so unworthy that a heavenly being would touch my back, that God would audibly speak to me. It is humbling. And I remember taking out my my bike and going out, and and I just wept. And it wasn't that God made me feel worthless. It's really just the opposite. I felt loved, but I realized how needy at the same time. A sinner, but loved of God. And so I have a feeling, this is exactly what Job's saying. I abhor myself. This being, this beautiful God that he's, he saw is like, and then you look at yourself and you say, oh, I'm undone. I'm a person of unclean lips, right? Look at Daniel. Then I And Daniel, we don't even know what he sent. We know all have sinned, but what an illustrious life. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man, he's looking at Jesus, clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Ufaz. His body was like the burrow, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them. So they, they fled and hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone, saw this great vision. There remained no strength in me. My comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. This is the same Daniel who refused to eat the king's meat and drink his wine. It's the, first, it's the same Daniel throughout his whole life, always took the right stand, and here we get towards the end of his life, and he feels in God's presence that he's undone. You know, in the end of time, again, if we go into it having faith in ourself, the powers of the state will be overwhelming to us. <clears throat> That if we can learn as Moses and contemplate who made the mountains, who made the earth, and keeps them, the universe, what's the fear? But we've got to know our place. We live in a fallen world. We really are the weakest generation. You ever thought about what it would have been like? Well, if I've got to be born in this world, it would be nice to be an antediluvian and to live 900 years be 15 feet tall. Well, sorry. 6,000 years of sin, and here we are. Half as tall, live three score and ten. That's it. Weakest of all who've ever trod the earth. That's okay. Because God's stronger than anything else there. And as long as we see our need and our sinfulness and realize He's the Redeemer the great changer of our life, we're okay. Think about the disciples. Think about those early days. Jesus is now ascended into heaven. And there they were, few in number. Men who had no standing in the world, no institutions of learning, no publishing houses, no hospitals. What did they have? They had a knowledge of Jesus. And they had Holy Spirit? Did they need more than that? Oh, it might be nice to have these things, but you know, in the end of time, we won't be able to buy and sell. We'll lose our publishing houses. We'll lose our hospitals. What are we going to have? What you'll have left is your knowledge of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. But do you need more? No, because that power is way more powerful than the church and state combined. They had the whole Roman Empire against them. Rome says you can't teach some new religion. You certainly can't teach religions that steers people away from the gods of the state. They had Judaism all against them as well. So what could they do? They waited. They waited. And being assembled together, they should not depart from Jerusalem, is what they were told. But wait for the promise of the Father, which say, he, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Did these 120 not have the Holy Spirit at all at this point? No, they had the Holy Spirit. They were to get what? More. Do we have the Holy Spirit? But what do we need? We're going to need more. We're going to need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about them already having the Holy Spirit. You'll remember in John 20, Jesus is crucified (coughs) and the disciples are hiding for fear of the Jews. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews came Jesus, stood in the midst, and saith to them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, what? Receive ye the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost. So they had received. Look at Ellen White's comment here. How much did they receive? The act of Christ in breathing upon his disciples, the Holy Ghost, and she's quoting John 20 here, and imparting his peace to them was what? Oh, it was just a few drops. It was just a few drops before the plentiful shower to be given on the day of Pentecost. But imagine what those few drops of the Holy Spirit did for them. They had that upper room experience where they settled all their differences. Isn't that right? They... They, they had a few drops um, that helped them to be patient and not move ahead of the Lord. And that's just a few drops. Look how those few drops changed them. Now imagine when you're about ready to receive a shower. And I think in a, in a lot of ways, as a church, I'm just talking in general, the Adventist church, we've received drops of the Holy Spirit. And in those drops, we've done a lot of good in the world, but we need more. You can walk and you can grow with a few drops, but to see the work finished in here and out there, we need more. Amen. Amen. We need more. Amen. And I want to talk about what does it mean to have more. Because what does it mean to really receive the Holy Spirit? Look at some of these statements. Then we'll look at some Bible quotes after this. The Holy Spirit is the life of Christ in the soul. So they received a few drops of the Holy Spirit. is because they had a little bit of Jesus in them. Is that a fair statement? They had a little bit of Jesus in them. And it changed their lives. They started doing right things. But what if they had a lot of Jesus in them? You see, you got a whole lot of Jesus in you, and you'll do greater things for Jesus. Does that make sense? Let's look at the next statement. The impartation of the Spirit is the impartation of what? The life of Christ. So that when we're praying for the Holy Spirit, what what are we really praying for? To be more like Jesus. Why receive more of the Spirit if we're not choosing to be more like Jesus? That seems almost like a contradiction. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is the power of Christ's life in you. The power of Jesus' love in you. The power of Jesus' humility in you. The power of Jesus' faith in you. It is the power of Jesus taking up residence in our life that empowers us to make more of a difference in the world and to see the work finished. All these statements are saying the same thing. Jesus is seeking to impress upon them the thought that in giving his Holy Spirit... He's giving to them the glory which the Father has given him that he and his people may be one in God. Now that's an amazing thought that we're to receive the Holy Spirit to receive the glory that even Jesus had with his Father. Which is really saying we were created in God's image. And that's such a high call and I don't think we can quite grasp that. That we really were a counterpart to counterpart to God, but in human flesh. There is no higher calling for a created being than to be created in the image of God as a counterpart to God, not that you'd be God, but you would progressively take upon yourself God's glory and the sense of his character, that you would just progressively become more and more like him as you obeyed him. That we can have a relationship with the Father as Jesus had with the Father. That's a high thought. So if we're praying for the Holy Spirit just to have power to perform miracles, that's not the power. And there's churches caught up in the power of God and they're speaking in ecstatic tongues. That's not the power. The power is the changing of thoughts and feelings. Amen. To see people and to treat people just like Jesus. Amen. Which goes along with our Sabbath School lesson. The more drops we have. Of the Holy Spirit. Of the life of Christ. The more we will take people. Take care of people who are the orphans. And the widows. Because that's what Jesus would do. Does that make sense? In giving us his spirit. Christ or God gives us. What? That's a mighty thought. Making himself a fountain of divine influences to give health and life to the world. God's throne is pictured in Revelation that there's this river flowing from the throne of God. What's he doing here? Light comes from the Father. And he says, look, I want to be in you so that my influence is now flowing through you to the world. That's how we were made. That's what we were designed for. Let's look at a few scriptures and we'll close after a couple slides here. These scriptures are saying the same thing. Galatians 4 6. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart. Isn't that saying the same thing? He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Doesn't mean you're not breathing. But God wants Jesus to be in us because then only as we have more of Jesus do we really even know what life is. And what was life designed for? The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Mm-hmm. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Mm-hmm. So, part of us having these glimpses of the glory of God is having these glimpses, the study, putting in Memories Hall, is many thoughts and precious thoughts of the life of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit makes that effectual. He makes it that whatever that picture is of Jesus can be what my life is, right? Because he lived a life for me that I couldn't live by myself. He came here because he said, you know, if I don't come here, you're just going to live lives that are in disobedience to God. But if I come here and live a life for you in the power of the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit can now put my life in you. So I've come here to live a life for you and I'm going to give my life for you but I'm going to go to heaven and the Holy Spirit is now going to put the same life that I lived here in you so you and I are, are one Oops. so let me close with this I think it's good when we read through the Bible, I think it's good when we have a devotional book I think all this is good, we need to continue to keep our nose into holy things, create a holy environment for our mind so we're not watching worldly television, reading worldly novels because that has a different influence on your minds and your thoughts. But beyond reading is contemplation. And when you contemplate the glory of God that's different than just reading words on a page. It allows those pictures of God to sink deeper into your memory Influencing your decision-making when God's, his glory becomes more of a pervasive influence on your overall mind. Does this make sense? And so having these glimpses and, and praying, Father, I want to see more of Jesus. Reveal yourself to me in your word. Reveal yourself to me in everyday life. So that I can see you out there. And then be thankful for God. For showing us our true condition. You know generally we don't want to be told that we're wrong. How many people like that when people tell you you're wrong? No, not me. But is it okay if the Holy Spirit does? Yes, it's true. And why does he? Because he loves you. He loves you. There's a way of telling people the truth. And you should always do it in a winsome way. You don't go up to someone and say, hey, let me tell you what I don't like about you. You find a way to the heart and encourage people that they can become more like Jesus. Pray for a repentant heart. A lot of times we don't want to admit that we're wrong. Is it important to admit that we're wrong? Especially before God? God, I am the chief of Sinners, Show me yet what's in my life that I may give it up and receive your righteousness in return. And keep that mindset that we're the chief of sinners as we behold the glory of God day by day. And just remember, as we head into more difficult times, don't worry about the power of the state. Don't worry about these apostates. Keep your focus on God's power. Should we be aware of what's happening? Absolutely. But I need to know God better than I need to know our enemies. And so we need to keep our focus on him who alone can get us through the difficulties of these final days. Before we have our closing prayer, our closing hymn is next. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we need more cleansing. For we're still here. Forgive us, Father, for not seeing ourselves as we truly are. Help us to have greater glimpses of your altogether beautiful character. Your love is infinite. And we know it some. Help us to experience more of your love. And your forgiveness and patience to see how amazing you truly are. Far more amazing that our minds have yet comprehended. But, Father, help us to find time each day. As the world becomes darker, may our vision of you become brighter as we learn to you to be our, not only our, the one who forgives, but the one who changes, the one who prepares. And, Father, we're very thankful that in the many days hence that your people shall see you face to face. So, Father, help us with the eye of faith to behold you now is our prayer in jesus name amen